0: Welcome back to another episode of the Emerge podcast. My name is Tom Neely, Housing Sector Lead at Berwick Partners. This is the podcast where we aim to discuss some of the key issues facing leaders. And today I was thrilled to be joined by Leanne Hearn, Chief Executive of Live Housing Group. In this podcast, Leanne and I discuss her background in manufacturing, as well as lessons she learned as she transferred sectors into housing. In addition to that, we discuss Leanne's journey joining what was previously named First Art Group, as a first-time chief executive and the transformation that she's driven at Now Live Housing Group, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you do, please do like and subscribe. Leanne, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for taking part in um, our new podcast, Barrick Partners Emerge. For the listeners, could you just give us a brief introduction of yourself, your background, and your organisation?
1: Okay, brief introduction. I'm Leanne Hearn, and I'm the chief executive at Live Housing Group. Live Housing Group is a um, housing association based in the northwest in Knowsley in Merseyside. Um, We own around 14,000 homes and we're a community-based association that really spends its time on social impact. Um, My background is I started my career in the year whatever as a secretary um, and uh, decided that I wanted to do something a bit more technical. So I'm an engineer in background. I spent my early career in sales, marketing and engineering, um, and I was manufacturing um, MD until 2008 when I decided to come into the housing sector on a full-time basis.
0: You mentioned that you, you obviously developed your career in a completely different sector in manufacturing and engineering, which is very different to your, arguably your generic kind of CEO of the housing sector. What, Why did you choose and then pursue a career in housing?
1: So it was an active choice. Um, So I can't say it was an active choice for every other career step that I took. Sometimes it was being in the right place at the right time and just having some ambition. Um, But the actual step into social housing came as a result of a non-executive job that I took. So I've been a member of the Academy for Chief Executives, which is um, a pan-sector, pan-European, but I'm based in the UK group. Um, And I joined them in about 2001. And whilst there, I met a new member who I was asked to buddy up when she joined, a lady called Lindsay Williams, who is currently chief executive at Futures Housing Group. Lindsay was just setting up as a new chief exec for a new business called Amber Valley Housing. It was a stock transfer. She was looking for board members, wanted somebody who was commercial. So I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I'd hit a big milestone birthday and had decided that I wanted to do something different and give something back as as you do. Uh, joined the board and got hooked. Um, I'm a girl that is a half glass full girl and I'm also a girl that researches and does things properly so I will prepare for everything. Um, So because I didn't understand the sector, I asked if I could go out and meet the people on the teams, on the ground, go and see the customers, go and see what they actually did. I had no idea what a housing association was and it was there that I got absolutely hooked. Um, I stayed with them for the full nine years and, and took them through a mergers as um, as vice chair and chair of one of the subsidiaries. And whilst there, just decided I need to do this permanently. Um, I had to take quite a drop in salary and drop in status because nobody at the time would accept somebody out of sector. Um, and then I've worked my way back up and I've just been... I was going to say I've been really lucky I don't believe I've been really lucky I have had some great opportunities I think um, it's interesting the harder you work the luckier you get but I have had some great opportunities and some great mentors along the way that have really helped shape my career with me and for me. And,
0: and just on on you talk about your journey there Leanne I'm, I'm really interested in some of the things that you you've picked up during your time out of the sector but also clearly kind of as, as a non-exec as well do, do you think particularly within the manufacturing sector, do you think that some of those key principles has now shaped the way that you lead live housing?
1: Um, Absolutely, Mm. absolutely. So I have a pyramid that I work to. It's a fairly common pyramid. Loads of people use it and it's systems process people. And and you can put it whatever order you want um, and decide whether the top of the pyramid is the people, the systems or the process. Um, So... For me I'm a big picture creative girl um, which is a bit interesting given the fact that I've been in manufacturing because that's all about systems thinking lean systems and processes Um, so despite the big picture I have learned how to be as my old boss used to affectionately call me the process queen so I get process um, and I get um, how you calculate a process and think through the system to be able to get the right outcome, and the role that both the people, the process, and the system plays. So, absolutely, that came from from manufacturing. I think from commercial sector, the thing that I really learned very early on is that sec- success is failure and vice versa, and both matter. And you can become successful once you failed. It is a equal driver um, percentages. Is a really humorous one because nobody really works in percentages in the sector, um, and I hadn't realized how quite as good as percentages I was in my head, because every commercial business i've ever worked in does everything on a percentage, because that's the balance so. Um, <clears throat> so that's been an interesting one and um, cost based analysis. Again, it's all about margin and in the housing sector, we can't really control the top line unless you're you're developing new homes. So you've got a fixed top line um, and therefore the only lines that you can control is the middle line. Therefore, there is the assumption that commercial people will just cut costs. And actually, it is the opposite. So my experience of being in manufacturing and and, and product design is all about innovation, investment. Mm. So it is about margin. It is about cost based analysis, but it's about innovation. And then the other thing that I brought in is um, reward, which sounds ridiculous because everybody in the housing sector would, uh, would would assume and believe that we have a really good reward system in our businesses, but it's really antiquated. Mm. And, um, it, I learned that there are lots of ways of reward, rewarding people and rewarding success and failure in manufacturing are the things that I think I've brought with me along the way in my little tool bag. Brilliant.
0: No, that's really interesting. Like I say, it's great to see you mentioned that uh, when you first joined into the housing sector, it was it wasn't the the thing to do bring people in from out of sector, was it? Whilst now it seems like people are certainly more. I know we kind of, we, we've worked together and brought some people in from from the from out of sector as well, and and they they can certainly challenge the status quo as well. And as you said there, you've you brought some great things into into the housing sector, which is great. And you, we we've always coined the phrase profit for purpose and housing is an incredibly purpose driven environment but what's your why Leanne what what drives you each day as chief exec?
1: Jigsaws and aspiration is my answer to that Um, because jigsaws is um, all about small pieces in a big picture and I'm really good at seeing all those pieces across the piece that other people can't necessarily see and not see a big picture from them so I'm good at pulling those things together and creating opportunities for that and then aspiration for me it's it's all about people always has always will be about people and that's finding somebody help uh, sorry finding somebody to uh, to help them understand what their aspiration is and how they want to get to where they want to get to or helping people in some way um, live the life that they choose to live and that and I don't mean that in a sycophantic kind of way I mean whatever I can do to bring somebody closer to whatever their vision drive um aspiration opportunities are uh, is the real thing so it's all about people and it's all about big pictures
0: and that that leads really nicely on to kind of the, the next question a lot of people that that know that you and I are sitting down and having this conversation were really keen to understand when they listen back to this podcast is is about the transformational journey that you've taken. What was First Arc to Live Housing Group? Yeah. So, if we, if we take it back, what is crazy because it's absolutely flown to, to October 2018 when you, you first you joined as a first time chief executive in what were, was a G3 organization known as First Arc or Nosy Housing Trust. Yeah. When you walked through those doors on the first day, Did you know what culture you wanted to create in the organization or did you arrive, see the lay of the land and then make your decisions?
1: So I always think that when you're setting a goal for anything, that you define it by the thing that you're running away from and the thing that you're running towards, you know, this stuff, it's the way towards goals. So I had a lot of away goals. You know, I didn't, I wanted to take out the complication. I wanted to take, take out all of the uncertainty, uh, but I hadn't yet defined what the two was. The only thing that I had defined that the two was, was compliance. We had failed abysmally on compliance. Now, in my experience, That is not about a failure to do a job. It's about a culture. Mm. And the thing that I was really clear about was that there was not a compliant culture in that business. And that's not about the G3 and the fire safety stuff. The reason I knew that was because nobody stuck to the parking rules. When I went into the car park on the first few days, the visitors car parks were full up and the disabled car parks were full up. So when I went and asked who was in the car in the car park I discovered that people randomly placed their cars where they chose and when I sent out an edict that said don't do that I got ignored. So I knew from the point at which I'd arrived there was not a compliance culture there. So my first cultural target was absolutely the compli- the compliance piece. <clears throat> Beyond that My driver wasn't about defining the culture. My, My driver was about helping the people in that business who knew it better than me to define the culture. And that, for me, was all about getting authenticity in our business. My major target was actually to give people their pride back. And that's language, interestingly, that comes from my chairman. So I didn't articulate it in that way at the time. But he said, people have lost their pride, we need to give them their pride back. And he was so bang on that I hung on to those words and used them. There were a lot of people who felt ashamed of what KHT had done and been perceived to have done. So I set about getting a culture of compliance and then set about working with the people in the business to help me shape the culture that gave them their pride back
0: that's really interesting particularly like say there, the the parking culture it's like i say those small minutiae to to kind of those marginal gains to get a bigger big picture as you say there is it's really interesting and when you talk about and when you wanted to create not only the compliant culture but also give people and that feeling of pride of going to work to what it was obviously nosy housing trust and now live housing group you've got You're trying to do that in an organisation that's probably arguably correct me if I'm wrong, feeling quite bruised as it was a G three, it's kind of got a lot of press behind it as well. Did you meet much opposition or resistance in trying to do that?
1: I mean in a, in a group of roughly 500 people, there are always going to be one, two, three or four people that are going to be the ones that are going to be against it. Mm. Um, and I had a phrase which was um, welcomed quite a lot by the other 497 or whatever it was, which was there's no bars on the windows and I haven't locked the doors. If you don't want to be here, let me help you go. Um, because those people that want to be here are really desperate to prove that there are some good things in Nosley as a borough, <clears throat> but also... in us as a business so no i didn't i didn't really um, face any resistance at all in fact most people including the stakeholders and we did a perception survey with customers and stakeholders and i did a culture survey with with the teams people were really wanting to help us and wanted to engage because people recognized that we wanted to do better and we weren't standing saying it's nothing to do with us this was somebody else's fault everybody in the business even those people who didn't really understand anything about the areas that we'd failed in, we're doing the, what do we need to do to, to get this better? We want people to see what we can really do because we do some good stuff and we do some good stuff. So the, for me, the culture was getting people as a team to know, to say the culture's about us, it's not about you. If you think it's about you, you're in the wrong place and we'll help you go and find somewhere else to live and work. But if you want to do it about us, then we'll do it together. And, and I've got really warm responses
0: from people it's very nice very nice and you, you mentioned there as well that you wanted to bring forward a, a culture of authenticity bring back people feeling really happy in their roles and, and clearly everyone's noses seemed like they were pointing in the right direction or the majority were so and we've seen in many organizations i'm sure you have as well Leanne, that kind of you walk into either a commercial business or a house association there's usually some big fancy slogans across the polls there's big welcome packs of how you want your new employee to act and, and whether or not that actually works or not is a, a complete or it actually has any impact is, is is for another day a discussion for another day but what you talk about all this you talk about getting people on board and, and going on this journey and it's been it's been a significant journey what tools did you get used to get to the heart of, of your teams
1: so the first thing I did um Sorry, ping, ping, ping. Um, The first thing I did was um, use a really, really old model that um, I'd picked up in sales, God knows how many years ago, called the KISS model, which is keep it simple, stupid. Um, And I just went back to the business and said, you are overcomplicating and we are overcomplicating everything. If we take everything back to its absolute core and keep it simple and take our business back to the core, that's what we're going to do. So for my first message was the target is core business will be the core of our business, i.e. the housing association and the services we give to customers will be the core. And the how we're going to do it is the keep it simple stupid, which went down really well. Um, I, I hear the conversation Tom, I hear the point in the, in, in the question and no I don't buy with those pictures on the walls and we had loads of pictures on the walls about our old values that were absolute rubbish and nobody could give me the values so I took them all down everything came down took all the pictures all the slogans got rid of all of all of that and said we were going to start from the beginning so how I started was um the thing my dad always said, you know you've got two ears and one mouth and you use them in that order. So I listened to hear and to understand. I did road shows, I did a conference. I did lots of blogs and vlogs so that people could understand about me. Um, I happily made mistakes and shared that as well as celebrating somebody else's success and not just mine so that the, the voice of me was the voice to start with which isn't a naturally comfortable place for me I'll be honest mm. um, but but I knew that people needed to have a leader that they could trust and follow and work with um, and so then Once I'd started to build the executive team up that they could trust, you probably know the history of our executive team, we hadn't had a full team for years, nobody lasted any time. Once I got the trust in the exec team, then I started to roll that out too. So um, the thing that we did was we defined the real vision of our business. This is before the brand, we started to do the brand work, but we decided that we would form the vision and the values of our business, but that that would be done by the business. Mm. I didn't do that, I brought somebody in to facilitate that and we did workshops with the teams and we listened to what they said to us. We asked them what their whys were, what they thought we stood for. We asked them what our purpose was and what mattered. And we spent nearly six months gathering all of that information and data. And then we played it back to them with a consultant that helped us, which was Creative Bridge, who really got under the skin of our people and then we played values back to them. So we do have values, and those four values, I know that if you went and asked probably 75% of the business, because there's always some that haven't got it right, um, they would be able to tell you what those values were. And that's because they wrote them, not me.
0: And and that really rings true, Leanne, that you you understand and get the power of communication. But also you make it sound very easy. And as you say there, when you were doing the conference, when you were doing the roadshows, it, it, it can be at times for any leader quite naturally uncomfortable because you are putting yourself out there. appreciate you, you've you kind of worked with the teams to make them find the values of the organisation. But wh- where do you think in your career that you really developed that skill of the power of communication in your career?
1: Um, I think it began with my dad. So... Um he's he's an unknown feminist i don't think he even realizes that he is because he's a traditional old guy he's 80 he's 81 now um and when i when i was young um he was the one that taught me to ride a motorboat, motorbike taught me to change engines taught me how to do all the stuff that got me interested in engineering but i'm equally um i was a semi professional trombone player and i was a painter So he was um, he was whatever you want to do, whether it's girls creation or boys creation, doesn't matter. It's what you want to do. So I was allowed to do exactly what I wanted and he would help me, as did my mum, because she's the one that taught me to sew. Um, They're still quite a traditional older couple. Um, That done... I was also encouraged to talk. I'm a chatterbox by nature, so I was encouraged to talk and encouraged to help and understand. They helped me to understand the impact of that communication. So that that started then. Where I really honed that, I think this comes down to two things, one of which is skills are learnt. So I've learnt the skills that get over my natural shyness. I've learnt the skills that help me do my job. But the ability, I had somebody help me develop. And the ability to communicate was me taking responsibility for my own learning and really a lot of the work that I did with the Academy for Chief Executives. So um, I learned fairly early on in that group that um, I had an ability to communicate because I was really observant and I listened to understand. Um, So I took my um, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming um, Qualifications and Training, became a master practitioner of that. And um, that has been the basis from which I've then learnt new things. So I'm really open to learning new things. My team will tell you I've dragged them along to horse whispering as a way of learning how to communicate. Um, we've done really wacky things that other people don't necessarily do. Um, and it's had a huge impact. Recently took the leadership team to do the horse whispering. And they really understood that communication is much more about body um and how people hear rather than just language um so it is that but the one the one thing that I have learned along the way is that whenever you think you've done enough comms Tom trust me you haven't yeah comms 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 and more comms and when you've finished and you think everybody's got your message then do some more to summarize because you'll never do enough
0: brilliant and I, I I love the idea of course experience I'd love to see you you your executive in that way. and like I say just trying something different to ensure that the communications uh, kind of up there and everyone's kind of understanding the message that you're wanting to take forward. So I, I find that fascinating. And it, it, if we go back to the transformational program that you've taken the organization. So after two years with the organization, you were graded to to a G2, you obviously rebranded to become Live Housing Group, but we, we know the ultimate goal is to get Live Housing back to a G1. Um, yeah. As a leader, something that is really underrated is the art of patience you seem to have what comes across the end of knowing you for so many years now is that you seem to have a real strong understanding of long-term perspective that also prevents any knee-jerk reactions or any boom-bust cycles which could be kind of true with with other organizations can you talk to us a bit more about how you've developed that long-term perspective And also kind of that skill of patience, which I I do think as a leader is incredibly underrated. Um,
1: It's interesting. I've never been described as patient, Tom. My team will say to you that uh, I often say, what's the magic word? Because the magic word is now. Um, However, I think where where I break that down is I'm not a detail girl. I know my weaknesses and I know my strengths. And if you need all of the detail, then I'm not your girl. but what I do do is the real big picture, long-term visioning. And I'm really good at articulating that. So I think it's not, it's not necessarily about the patients. It's about me focusing me and the team on the long-term vision and then breaking that down into, into individual steps that we can take both individually and collectively. There's got to be celebration along the way. Otherwise, it's one hell of a long, miserable journey. So what I'm great at is the big picture. I can't do the detail, so I get the teams to help me do that. So we all had a hand, you know, in the muck and bullets. But then when we got to each of the stages where we knew we'd done something and people were feeling battle-weary, and they were, because they'd had two years of bit battle-weariness before I arrived, um, we celebrated every success, every success. And the pace you know, I'm good at the pace pushing the the magic button button of now still applied. So keeping the pace going at the same time as having a long term vision is what denotes the patience. Um, So I don't think I'm necessarily patient as an individual. But what I'm really clear about is the whole journey and the colouring of the picture of the exciting destination, because not everybody else thinks in pictures, I do. Um, I will paint a really good coloured picture for the destination, but if you're not visual and you're a hearing person or a technical person, we've got to get it in your language. So I made sure that we painted that picture and told that story in words, pictures, images, colours and languages, so that whoever was looking at it or listening to it, it landed with them. And then we celebrated the milestones along the way in exactly the same way so that people really felt they'd had a contribution to it.
0: Brilliant. And you talk about the contribution, and you talk about also your background of what you've been able to bring into the housing sector from the manufacturing sector that you you kind of honed your skills in and particularly around those lean processes. And as we know, that, that is a key principle in the manufacturing sector how much of your success over the last over the three-year journey at live housing would you apportion to people versus lean processes that you've brought in
1: back to my pyramid so i think it's three not two Mm -hmm. Um, and it's people process, and systems and the old adage of you know having the right people in the right place with the right tools doing the right things means that you get the right outcome so i don't think you can have one stronger than the other um, we you know we we had a, a really broken process in empty homes, voids, some people call it. Um, we had to start with the process, but how I did it was got the people to write the process. And we didn't do it in a systematic lean systems thinking way. We did it in a visual way. and we got people into a room to draw it, feel it, see it, and work out each of the stages of the process, what happened. So I think it's literally a third, third and a third. And that pyramid will change. I'm obviously, in a pyramid, the bit at the top is a smaller amount. Yep. Um, I think you sometimes flip it on its head. So when I started the people were at the top and the biggest chunk of work was at the bottom which was the process we then put the system in place but now we've got the process and the system right I've now flipped it so it's an upside pyramid and the people are the most important thing because they're the ones who are delivering that they're the ones who are testing it they're the ones who are making that the custom making sure the customer gets the outcome that we set out for them to have Great. Right. and what
0: looking from the outside in yeah, it seems like you've You've created a fantastic culture within Live. There's no doubt about it. People talk incredibly highly about your organisation. So therefore, and you and I have had this discussion um, off, off a recording, is that it's vital that leaders, the leaders that you bring into the organisation only not only add, but add real value rather than disrupting the culture that's taking you quite some time to build. So what are the key characteristics do you look for when you're trying to recruit into your senior teams?
1: The first one is values. We're a value-driven business. We're a value-driven, you said right at the outset, the housing sector is a social housing, is a a sector with a social purpose and a purpose. So for me, you don't have to have a social purpose, but you absolutely have to buy into our purpose. So um, values is critical. And then the second thing for me is having some ambition. Now, I don't mean that everybody wants to be ambitious enough to get to the next stage, because we all need a mix of people who are perfectly happy at the level they're at and people who are driven to to, to achieve different things. So when I say ambition, I mean ambition to do a great job, ambition to do the right thing, ambition to listen, to understand, to hear what we're trying to do and learn what your contribution can be to get the outcome that we want. Those Those are the two things. I always believe that you can train skills. You know that we've had this conversation. You know, I've I've taken the decision on more than one occasion to bring in somebody who is only experienced at a level below the job we're recruiting to. You can't do that every time when you can. If the gap is in skills, I can train skills. I can't train culture and I can't train attitude. Old school thinking still plays the same. So I always recruit for attitude.
0: Have you ever got that wrong? So have you ever desired, appreciate you, you? You were really clear there that you you hire on attitude. Whatever you ever hired someone who's who's been referred to you or has got fantastic credentials as a CV, and, and clearly got got that wrong. And what have you learned from that experience?
1: Like I said, failure is just as successful. So yes, I have. Yeah. Um, I've done it I've done it two different ways one actually was with your organization some time ago when I was working with somebody else um, which was I think frustrating to the consultant that was working with me at the time one of which was where I was able to stop it before it started so I was persuaded in an interview setting by a candidate that was sitting in front of me and I was persuaded by others um and I couldn't pinpoint what it was um But I knew that with with all of my training and skills, that um, my gut was telling me from my enable training, this person wasn't a fit for us, that what I was getting was a really brilliantly articulated response. But what I wasn't getting was the gut feel. So I was persuaded that she um, should be appointed. And I just didn't feel right about it. But it wasn't just my decision. And I am one for working in teams. So it was a team decision. Therefore, we went with it. This individual, um, at the stage at which we started to offer the job and make the offer, came back with counter-offers and started to play games. And at that point, I went, I knew this person was wrong, so I withdrew the offer, which was apparently not well-received by the consultant at the time that I'd done that. Um, But it was the right thing to do, and I'm so glad I did. So that was one of my lucky escapes, I'd say. But it taught me something that... um, sometimes collaborative working is brilliant but sometimes as as part of your role in that collaboration you have to be brave and I wasn't brave enough to argue with somebody whose judgment I trusted and I should have done so I have learned to be braver even though as I say naturally you know I I can come across as a bit of a gobshite um but I'm naturally introverted in some ways so I've forced myself to do that the second one was somebody that I recruited um actually in the last organization. um, And I I did the final interview, so I wasn't doing the first interviews and the credentials were absolutely right. Not only was the CV perfect, but the story he was telling me about the challenge he was facing in his life and the experiences he'd got, I absolutely believed. And what I ended up with is a complete Walter Mitty. And I mean complete Walter Mitty. He told me he was a pilot. He told me he got diagnosed with cancer. He told me that he invested a million pounds in two houses in in Liverpool. all of which turned out to be complete fantasy, but I believed it for a year because I kept giving him chances. And eventually um, when he wasn't delivering, good old fashioned um, management of performance was the thing that tricked it because I then had a conversation They said, you're not delivering on these things, let's talk it through and he couldn't give him the answer. We ended up um, like lots of situations where we compromised him out. So we had a settlement agreement because it was the best best thing for him and the business. Um, but I used that as a case to do and went back to my exec colleagues and said, let, let me show you. I don't know how I could have done this differently, but let me show you. And I got some really good help and advice. And there were a couple of things that I learned from that um, about how you need to do a bit more digging around at the outset when we just trust the early stages of a reference. Sometimes you should ask more.
0: And as you said that at the beginning Follow, follow your gut and, and be brave with those decisions as well. And as you, like you say, kind of failure is as good as success because you, you learn in in both in both aspects. And final question, Leanne, before we go on the quick fire questions, you've clearly got you are still on that journey with Live Housing Group, but you're you're certainly a lot further further on than some organisations. What advice would you give to any other chief executives who are about to embark on a large transformational change programme?
1: Get your big picture first. First thing, really define what your big picture and your exciting destination is. Know exactly where you want to go to and then make sure that you communicate that to everybody. Back to the point I said to you before about comms, comms, comms and comms. And when you think you've done enough, then tell them again. But you need to get your big picture and the exciting destination really understood and communicated out. And then my um, lovely boss, Carol Matthews from Riverside, um, uses a phrase that I learned from her and has stuck with me that when you get something she'll go well what's the first three things you can do, and then the next three things you can do, and then the next three things. So when you faced and I was faced with this you, you, you know some of the challenges that I was faced with when you are faced with a list that's so long it's not a shopping list it's a shopping book and. Um, you can't do all of that. This is your patience question earlier on, potentially. You have to break it down into the things that you can do in small chunks and just find the first three things. The thing that I've added into that is find the first three things that you can do and celebrate them, and then the next three things and celebrate them. But it's big picture, exciting destination, comms, 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 first three things.
0: Brilliant. What a great way to finish the conversation. Thank you, Leanne. And, and as I said, I- I always thoroughly enjoy our conversations, but I've found it incredibly insightful as, as always. And, and before I let you go, we've, we've got four quick fire questions. So I'll, I'll excuse the fire away. Uh, what, what has been the most valuable leadership lesson you've learned?
1: I think about authenticity and um, showing your vulnerability. What, what
0: advice would you give to an aspiring leader starting out on their journey?
1: So. Um, I would say that they need to be really alert to listen and hear.
0: Thank you. And what what do you believe to be the key leadership qualities required in today's world?
1: Oh God, the obvious answer to that is flexibility.
0: Final question: Leanne. What one leadership book recommendation you'd give to the listeners?
1: So that's quite easy to answer because I hate leadership books and I'm not a really good yeah, reader. I agree that. Yeah. There. Um, I'm a I'm an avid reader, but I'm a bit of a bit of a traditional girl. So I'm a Jane Austen girl. Um, however, I'm also a rugby girl, so I've always loved, loved rugby. And um, me and my husband and my friends follow rugby, which I think I've probably told you before. Got me into a bit of trouble in Merseyside because I mean rugby union, and they mean rugby league. Yeah. So I would recommend a book because um, the the person that I went to see speak. Is a guy called Humphrey Walters. And um, he was the coach that worked with Clive Woodward to set up the England um, rugby team that won the World Cup. And the principles of setting up that team and developing that team culture and the team ethics was Humphrey Walters's work with Clive Woodward. You won't see Humphrey Walters, he's now long since retired, but he was a sailor, as in he sailed around the world in yachts um, who worked with with Clive Woodward to build those principles but Clive Woodward's book Winning has all of those principles in so I definitely recommend that so I'm a great believer that we can learn a lot from other industries and sport in particular has some fantastic uh, lessons around visualization around team ethics around goals and behaviors that we can learn from so I'd say go watch Clive Woodward and even Eddie Jones Eddie Jones has sent some really really great management messages that we can learn from, one of which you would like because the first one he always says is bring the right people in yeah. from the start. Yeah,
0: brilliant. Thank you ever so much. Leanne, I've thoroughly enjoyed it as I always do, uh, chatting to you. So thank you for joining us on this podcast and look forward to catching you too.
1: It's a real pleasure. Thank you, Tom.
0: Thank you for listening to Emerge Leadership Lessons from Berry Partners. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please like rate and subscribe to ensure you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening.